Good morning. <clears throat> Our annual congregational meeting is uh, going to be held this coming Sunday at uh, 5 p.m. here in the auditorium. <clears throat> and the main purpose of this gathering is to review the, the past year and uh, present the proposed budget for the coming year, all these things that are pretty mundane business type things. But if you're new to our church and curious about the church's finances, I encourage you to be here. Uh, you'll get some copies of the budget next week and uh, take a look at that during the day and then come back maybe in the evening. It'll be good to have you. Now, I mention this today for two reasons. <clears throat> First, every Christian, <clears throat> every Christian is, who gives to the local church ought to be informed on how those resources are being used. We appreciate your trust. We appreciate your confidence. But... The elders and the staff were accountable to you for the way that we manage your gifts and offerings that here at the church. That's the first reason. The second reason is we do things rather different here. Uh, I've had people come up for the last, uh, oh, I don't know, at least once, maybe once a month if they're visiting. And uh, they want to know why we don't take up an offering. And uh, and I explained to them that you know you know in Bible times they just had a box out by the front of the temple, and people could give as they came in or went out or whatever. It was kind of a private thing. And uh, <clears throat> in fact, here in our church, you pass two boxes. There's a box for offerings, and there's a box for benevolence. And uh, you folks find those boxes all the time. You don't have to be they all have to be pointed out to you. You know where they are. But if you have a visitor or somebody sitting there near to you, you might want to help them out with that. But there's a difference that about in our church compared to a lot of other congregations. <clears throat> Another difference is, is that once a year <clears throat> we talk about generosity. Once every year we talk about giving. Welcome. This is if you if you weren't here today, you'd miss the whole thing for another year. We're glad you're here. <clears throat> And believe it or not, that's what makes our congregation rather unusual. Because a lot of congregations, I mean, they're always asking people to shell it out because there's always a crisis, they're always supporting this or that or another, paying the bills or whatever. And we, we don't have that here at Maple Grove. And all through the years that I've been here, I've watched you folks consistently, week after week, week after week, you have supported the work of the Lord in this place. The fact that everything that we see around here is that God has enabled us to pay for. You know, we, we don't have any debt. The church is debt free. We do have a lot of construction stuff going on around about us, but we, we can't help with that. That's not our problem. Hopefully they'll get it done and uh, we'll have a really nice little circle out there. But for this morning, for our annual uh, Stewardship message is sometimes what it's called. I want to talk to you about generosity. <clears throat> I think most people deep down want to be generous. They do understand that the word miser and the word miserable come from the very same root. But most people understand that. And we admire people who are generous. However, it's often more difficult to give what we have right now, I think, because we maybe need it so badly. And it represents, you know, a lot of energy and time uh, taken to earn that money. 
So while we want to be generous, we have to sometimes fight our little carnal nature there a bit and maybe overcome some selfish habits and perspectives. So what's the solution to that? Well, the Bible, and we're going to quote mostly from Proverbs today, but for here, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians verse 9. The Apostle Paul states a foundational biblical truth. He says this, Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man, each woman, each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, King Solomon wrote a lot about generosity in the book of Proverbs, and so we'll be going back and forth there quite a bit today. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. See, Proverbs teaches us that God wants his people to be open-handed, be generous, and if they are, he will reward them for their generosity. I think the fact that our church has been blessed is because God has honored our willingness to share what we have with others and for the good of others. This is, this is another way that we are to think and act and be different from the world. And this morning, I want you to see how Solomon's wise counsel helps us answer some basic questions about generosity. First, to whom shall we give? If we're going to be generous, who should be the recipients of our generosity? Well, let's consider some of these. First, I think our own children should be on the receiving end. And all the children's ears perked up right there. <clears throat> but I think it's biblical. Proverbs thirteen twenty two: A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, we've all seen young people inherit maybe a big chunk of money, maybe sooner than they should have, and they waste it and they spend it in the rest of their life just parting and never mature. And, and so it, it's not surprising that Solomon warns us about the amount we leave to our children and how we ought to leave it. Proverbs twenty twenty one, An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Now, some might disagree, but I think one of the ways we give an inheritance too quickly is when we as parents cover the entire cost of all of our kids' education. You heard me tell the story before. My father put me into forced servitude as a newspaper carrier at the age of 11. And uh, he, he, told it, he told it to me this way. He said, and he, he took care of it all. It was just announced one day at the, at the supper table. I was now a newspaper carrier. No vote. I had no vote. But what he told me was, he said, if you will do this now, because he was a newspaper carrier, and, and he just, I guess, thought I needed to follow in those steps. But he said, if you'll do this while you're young and save your money, you'll have enough money to go to college. He said, I, he, he calculated. He said, you'll have enough money to go to college for three years he knew I was going to go to Bible college. He said, this will cover three years of your education. And then he said, when you do that, and if you do that, he said, I'll pay for the last year. <laughs> and you know what? It did, and he did. And I, I didn't always like it. But looking back, I saw the wisdom of it. 
When we pay tuition, though, and books and meals and give extra spending money as our kids go off to school, now the result can sometimes, they have got too much time on their hands. They can be tempted to waste time partying, just like the prodigal son Jesus talked about, who took his father's inheritance and just wasted it in wild living. And we modern parents can unintentionally end up financing things we really don't want to finance. Now, this is not in the Bible, but I think it's good counsel. Some parents agree to pay about three-fourths of the cost of college education, but they insist that the young adult take care of the rest. They would not have so much idle time. Believe me, I had no idle time, I tell you, as a teenager. But I want to tell you, it paid off. And probably the best time to give money to our children is in these is in the early married years, not the college time necessarily. But that's the time parents can afford to give uh, to help their kids when they really, really need it. I talked to Jerry Cravens about this this week because he's my banker expert. He's not my banker. I'm not trusting him with any money I have. <laughs> Love him, but, you know, we've not had that discussion. But, but nevertheless, he answered this question for me. I said, is it true, someone has said, that most first-time home buyers will need some financial assistance in order to complete the transaction? And I said, is that true? And he said, to a point, it is true. But uh, he said, most of the time, um, you know, parents just let the kids get their loans or whatever on their own. They don't step into the equation very much. And I'm not sure that's the best thing to do necessarily. But I do know that if you wait until you die to give anything to your kids and just dump it on them at one time, chances are, you know, they probably won't even need it necessarily. I mean, most likely they'll be in their older ages, 40s and 50s, and ideally, hopefully financially independent by the time we die. And if they know they will get nothing until you die, they may be secretly hoping you expire early. That's not in the Bible, but it's good counsel. So let your kids know that, yes, they will get something perhaps when, while you're alive. But, but the bulk of any money left behind us, you know where it ought to go? It ought to go to support really good Christian causes who are always needing help. And then as a side benefit, your kids will be praying like crazy that you live long and you stay healthy, you know. And... Uh, and you get them to, to see them enjoy whatever that you do share with them. And your very presence may foster a degree of accountability as to how it's spent. I read one guy took his family to Hawaii and his kids, grandkids, 15 members of the family all together. And he gathered them all around after they landed in Hawaii. He says, what we do together, I'm paying for it. I'll pay for everything we do together. But whatever you go off and do on your own, that's fine. But you pay for it. And he said later, you can't believe what a close-knit family we were <laughs> on that trip. We did everything together. You know. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, Well, I'll come back later and I'll give it to you tomorrow when you now have it with you. So our our children should receive some of the benefits of our generosity. And then I think the people who serve us, 
should be blessed by our generosity. If you should go through life, if you have an opportunity to help somebody uh, who may be struggling to make ends meet, you ought to do so. We need to be generous. Every single Sunday, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians that go out for lunch after church. I've heard this for years. You know that those who wait on tables say that the worst customers for tips and generosity are all these church people. They come in there just fresh from church and they take up all the space. They sit around and eat their meal and then they yak and talk and visit and take up table space and then just leave a little puny tip or something on the table. They hear your conversations. They know you came from church. What a witness. What a witness that is. So let me suggest that if you're one of those kind of people, at least don't tell anybody you go to Maple Grove Christian Church. You know, tell them you go to Sherwood Oaks. They got a lot of resources there. Tell them that. But I mean, that's, that's a real truth. It enhances your witness when you're generous. And you give to those that need it. And the Bible also tells us that obviously we should be generous to the needy. Proverbs 14, 21. Blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 14, 31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. I love this story. I heard a preacher was downtown walking with his family. They just had the dinner and they left the restaurant and they were going to a concert somewhere downtown. And uh, they had hurried to get to the thing, so he didn't get a chance to eat his pie. So he had it put in a little plastic see-through box, just a little piece of pie. And he was going to eat it in the lobby of the place they were going to watch the uh, uh, perf- concert performance, whatever it was. So as they were walking from the parking garage down to the auditorium, a homeless man came up. And uh, the preacher's son was walking there ahead of him. And he asked him for a couple of dollars so that... He could go get something to eat at White Castle. Yay! (laughs) Let me add what she said. Let me say this. He's he's desperate (laughs) if he goes to White Castle. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of our little marital moments here, you know. And uh, we're not talking about marital counseling, not today, but it's coming. But. uh, but anyway, he planned on finishing that in the foyer of the concert hall. So as they walk in, here's this guy comes up. He said, could you give me a little money? You know, he, whatever. And so the son gave him, gave him a few dollars. And, uh, and then the, uh, he, he was said, I'm so proud. He thought to himself, I'm so proud of my son, you know, for being generous. And then the homeless man glanced at him and said, could I have that pie? And then he said it, uh, it hit him real, real hard. He didn't want to give up that piece of pie. You know, now he ended up doing it, you know, he ended up giving a piece of pie. But that'd been me and I had a square donut, I'd give him cash, you know. <laughs> I believe I'd given him the cash. I, I like the square donut. But anyway, but we should show caution in our generosity. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Solomon also warned us that we, we're not really helping the poor when we, we do such things as cosign loans for them. But you didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Jerry Cravens pointed that out to me. 
Proverbs twenty two twenty six. Do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, then your very bed will be snatched from under you. If you can't afford it, if they can't afford it on their own, you're not doing them a service by co-signing for them. They're putting your own resources at risk. Now, of course, your own children may be an exception, but especially when they're first getting started, as I said a moment ago. But if you can't afford to lose it, someone has said, don't loan it if you can't afford to lose it. But the Bible does say that we are to give generously to the legitimately poor. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll reward him for what? He has done. When you and I put money in that box out there that says benevolence, then, you know, we are contributing to help people. You may not even know who they are. We get calls pretty regularly here at the church of of needs that people have in our community. And we have worked diligently to try to meet many of those. We don't do all of them. We ask some questions and we, we do ask for some information a little bit about what the circumstances are. But as a general rule, we have been able to be very, very, very helpful to a lot of people. If you come to this meeting this next week, you're going to see on the budget items that what we've done with benevolence. And you're going to be amazed at how much money that we have generated to help people outside the doors of this building. In fact, even in the budget for this coming year, the elders have raised that amount that we're going to give. Now, that, that's that's. That's stuff you need to know. And we ought to imitate that kind of thing on a personal basis as well. Now, as I've told you, and, and I'll tell you again today, I don't feel like I need to preach a lot about giving. About I just never do. In fact, you know, this is the only time it'll be touched on until next year. If, aren't you glad you're here? You had to wait another year to hear this. And isn't that interesting? I don't know of too many preachers that would say that or can say that. We are so blessed. Now, for those who may be new to some of this, let me state this. The Bible speaks of giving a tithe. Now, a tithe is a 10% gift, 10% of your income. You look at how much you make, you calculate 10% of that, and that's what you give. Many of us have been doing this for a long time. I'm of the opinion that the tithe should go to the church. A a gift of your offerings, uh, offerings can be directed to the needy. That's what the benevolence box is for. Malachi 3.10 tells us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. See, the Jewish people were to bring their tithe to the temple where it would be used to, to take care of needy and pay the salary for the priests and so on. In the New Testament, Acts 4.34, we read, there was no needy persons among them. This is talking about the early church, not the, the, the Jewish temple. It's talking about the church. For from time to time, those who owned houses and land sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now, why do they use that method? I'll tell you what it is. It keeps your ego out of it. You don't get the individual credit for what's been given. God gets the credit through his people, the church. But it also takes advantage of the combined wisdom 
of the church leaders in how to distribute these resources. When you give money to the local church, you can see tangible results. And people are blessed. Ministries are blessed. The, the, the local um, community and the various ministries, Saul to Paul and all these other ministries that, that help people, they are encouraged. Lives are impacted. And it's a testimony to our church that you guys are so generous. Man, isn't that, isn't it glad, aren't you glad I can say that to you? Because it's the truth. So that's how we should give. All right, here's number two. Why should we give? We give because God views our giving as an act of worship. Did you know that? First Chronicles 16.29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering, come before him, and worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You know, we think of worship as singing songs and praying and taking the Lord's Supper and listening to a sermon and hoping it's done before noon, you know. That's what we're used to, what we want to do. But when you give your offering, that's a tangible expression of worship. In fact, we don't think about it, but the very first time worship is mentioned in the Bible had to do with God testing Abraham's faith. Remember that? And Abraham was being asked to do something very, very hard, very, very difficult. But he made up his mind he was going to do it. The first time worship is ever mentioned in the Bible has to do with Abraham's faith. And as he started up that mountain to sacrifice his son, and even though he didn't know why, he says to his servant, Genesis 22, 5, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship And then we'll come back to you. What faith. And he wasn't singing any songs or taking communion or listening to a sermon. Rather, by faith, he trusted God, believing God would spare Isaac's life. And even if he didn't, he could resurrect him. He believed this with all his heart. That he was willing to sacrifice that which was most precious to him. We can't conceive of that. I can't conceive of that. But you're showing your love and devotion to the Father when you place your gift in the offering box in the foyer. It's worship. It's not a tax write-off. It is, but it's not about that. It is a gift of worship. You're showing your love. It's a pledge of allegiance to Him. You're giving of yourself. I read of a preacher who told about how when he was growing up on Sunday morning, his dad but it could always be found before they left for church, sitting in his favorite chair. And he had his checkbook there with him, his Bible and a notepad. And he said his dad would write out several things he was grateful for. And then he would write out the check to the church. And he said it was my dad's way of reminding himself the motive for giving was to give thanks to God and worship him. That's pretty neat. So that, that's, that's a, the main, main for number one, why we ought to give. Number two, God commands us to give because giving takes our focus off the materialism of this crazy world. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> not a lot of giving. It's a lot of taking, but not, as not, not a lot of giving. Listen to 1 John 2.15. 
God wants us to focus on spiritual things. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And verse 17, the world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. But not a lot of people understand that in our culture. You know, it's said in South Africa, they had a unique way to catch monkeys, capture them. And they place some fruit inside a small mouth jar and then attach and connect the, fasten the jar to the side of a tree. And you know, the old monkey come along there, you know, and he reach in that jar and grab that fruit. But when he made that fist, he could no longer get his hand out of the jar. And he sit right there, unwilling to let go until he was captured. Now, frankly, I don't know that I'd want to have a monkey that had been caught that way because he's going to be ticked off when you let, you know, get it. But, but think about that. Is there anything in your life that you've got a grip on right now? I mean, tight? Hmm. I suspect there's something in all of our lives like that. It's so easy for us to get caught up in this materialistic world. But when we release our possessions on a regular basis, then we're liberated from all that, all the greed and selfishness of this world. And you and I are reminded what? That our life does not consist of the abundance of the stuff that we have. That's why Jesus told the materialistic rich young ruler he needed to change his focus. He said, you need to sell everything. Luke 18, 22. You sell everything you have, he said, and you give to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And can you picture Jesus? He's excited about the whole concept. But can you, the Bible tells us the response of the rich young ruler. He walked away miserable because he had so many possessions. You know, if you could get back in a time machine and go all the way back to Savannah, Georgia in 1863. Okay, let's imagine that. And you look up a forefather of yours who has $3 million, but it's all in Confederate money. And he thinks he's rich. And it's your job to try to convince him that if he doesn't make some changes, he's going to be broke one day. I mean, you came from the future. You know what happened to Confederate money. So what do you tell him to do? Exchange that worthless stuff for that which is gold or that which is union currency, whatever. But get rid of it because it's not going to last. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says this. You, you and I say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. And Jesus says these things of a world that's going to pass away. And we need to exchange this temporary stuff for the things that are eternal. Make a difference in others' lives. And when you and I give, we literally do lay up treasures in heaven. Each time you're generous, each time you're saying, each time you acknowledge God, then you're saying, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our real treasure is stored up elsewhere. Or if you want to go by the song, it's way beyond the blue. But when I saw talk about blue, I think about Kentucky and it just 
distracts me completely and I lose my place. It takes longer to finish the message. And so you don't want me to do that. All right. So that's third. And we ought to give also because we give expression to our compassion. If you love your kids, I assume you do. You've got kids maybe sitting with you that are hoping that you're nodding your head, that you love your kids. And if you do, it's a joy to give to them. And if you love this church, it's a joy to give to this ministry. There's some checks I don't like to write. But it's a joy to write our tithe check out to Maple Grove. Some of you can say that too. I know you can. If you care about the lost or the needy, we just have to give. First John 3.17 If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with just words or tongue, but with actions and it is in truth. It has been very, very well said, very well said. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Number four, giving enables us to experience God's blessing. Now, some might, might think, well, that's, that's kind of selfish, you know. But the Lord makes it very clear in his word that if you give to him, he's going to multiply gifts to you in return. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled and overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 22, 9. A generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. The late Dr. Carl Menninger, who was a Mayo Clinic uh, expert and doctor, he once wrote, giving is a good indicator of mental health. Hear this. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. Isn't that something? Hmm. You see, God's blessing on you may be contentment. It may be emotional stability. It may be a spiritual blessing of some form. Maybe family unity. It may be financial prosperity or whatever that might mean to you. But it might even be just the everyday hope we studied about when we went through First and Second Peter. You see, our Father in Heaven promises you that if you give... He's going to give more in return. In fact, Malachi 3.10, the only time I can think of in the Bible where God says this. He says, test me. The only time in the Bible I can think is there. Test me in this, he says, and see if I will not throw. He's talking about the tithe. And he said, I will see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings on you, you'll not have enough room for it. I mean... Don't we reap what we sow? So how much should we give? The Bible promises a lot in Proverbs about blessing the generous, but it doesn't give a definition of generosity. So I think that's because every individual has to answer that question for themselves. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, the Apostle Paul says this, But just as you excel in everything, faith speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace 
of giving. Now, how do you do that? Well, Paul never explains that. But do you know that the standard of the early church was tithing? That's 10% of your income. You ever heard of Dave Ramsey? We were at a timeshare down in, uh, in uh, Florida, and I brought up Dave Ramsey's name to this individual that was trying to get me to invest in a timeshare. Anyway, and I mean, this woman, she like lost her mind. When I talk about, she said, I hate Dave Ramsey. <laughs> and I got kind of tickled. That didn't help the thing that, in our conversation. But anyway, but uh, Dave Ramsey, the money management guy, once talked about how different America would be if every Christian tied their local church. Now, I don't know if he's exaggerating, but I, I could be. He says there would be no more welfare in North America. In 90 days, there'd be no, no local, uh, there would be no more, no more church or hospital debt. The world would be evangelized within 90 days. There'd be prayer and Bible teaching in schools because Christians would buy all the schools up. Tithing, he said, is powerful. Now, I think he's just enthusiastically there a little bit, but, but I think he's, he's right a little bit in terms of we don't understand the power that would be released in this world if we would be generous. I read about a plane that crashed on a deserted island. I'll close with this. It's really profound. All the survivors were really concerned except for one guy. He was sitting on the beach, just sunbathing, totally content and oblivious to any danger. And they said, aren't you worried about being found? And he said, oh, no. He said, I tithe to my church, and my preacher will find me. <laughs> How generous should we be? Well, the Old Testament says 10. I'll tell you what the New Testament says, though. You give as you've been blessed. And I want to tell you, I also say this to you as a congregation. You guys are doing a wonderful job. Wonderful job. God bless you for it. Heavenly Father, I ask you to help us to really appreciate your wonderful, wonderful generosity. That while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus. And Father, thank you that of all the things we have to be grateful for, it's the cross, Christ's willingness to take our place. May we never, ever forget how much you've already given to us. In your son's precious name I pray, amen.